Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Let me explain what's happening here. Kathleen Roll, a comedian, great comedian, great writer, lives in New York, and her neighbor is our good friend Frank Conniff. Frank is not on the call now, and she has actually gone to her back porch and yelled up to him. You can hear. So everything that we do here is alive and alive. This is late breaking news. Oh, okay, Ed. I I did go out there and I yelled at Frank. He came to the window and he said he is is uh, he's logging on. Late as usual. I'm gonna blame it on his cat. He's a bit of an asshole. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. I'm Ed Krasnick, my partner Jennifer Kalari, coming along shortly. This is the show where we talk about mental health and we practice mental health skills. This is like a therapy theme party. This is Therapalooza, and basically we're going to have a little, little jam session today with two great writer performers. Uh, both comedians, both very funny comedians and very original in their comedy. This gentleman uh, I've known for many years, always been a fan. He's wildly creative. He started as TV's Frank on the Peabody Award-winning show Mystery Science Theater 3000, and that's Mr. Frank Conniff. So Frank joining us very shortly, along with Frank is also a, a friend, an old friend who I haven't talked to in a long time, and she is uniquely talented, actress, writer, comedian, uh, worked with many great uh, people doing many great things, including Bob Odenkirk on the movie Melvin Goes to Dinner and many other shows, and that's Kathleen Roll. And so Kathleen Roll and Frank Conniff, Frank Conniff and Kathleen Roll coming up shortly. You can order your Mental Health is Hot potholders. Don't wait on this. Because Mental Health is Hot, the potholders are beautifully designed, and they're good reminders that your emotion, you know, showing emotion is very attractive. Very, very attractive. So order your Mental Health is Hot potholders. And this is the show that explores how we relate to our thoughts and feelings. Let's go from I'm a piece of shit to I'm at peace with shit. Let's do that. Uh, I don't generally swear, but why not? This is Therapalooza. We always like to welcome our listeners, no matter what emotional state they're in. So here are emotional shout-outs. If you think the Delta variant is a Penn State University frat house, welcome. If your style of communicating can be described as DoorDash, welcome. If you believe that we should just start filming the world's largest medical drama because we all look like we're going into surgery, welcome. If you want to see a remake of Beauty and the Beast where the Beast gives a TED Talk, welcome. If all the gun violence in America has forced you into investing in a Kevlar onesie, welcome. If you'd like to take a master class in avoiding conflict, welcome. And if you're beating yourself up even now, there's always a place for you right here on the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. 
Right now, I want to bring in my partner, the High Priestess of the Hippocampus, the Wizard of Well-Being, and the Magellan of Emotional Regulation, Jennifer Kalari. Jennifer, I mean, I've looked at life from both from no sides now. So if you're an introvert to begin with, and you're going through COVID and isolation, what the hell do you do? That's a good question. Well, it, it depends. Like, I feel like introverts, a lot of introverts have actually, I don't want to say enjoyed COVID because no one's enjoyed it, but it's actually been easier for them in some ways because all of the really stressful things that they've had to do, they don't have to do. It's the extroverts, I think, that have had a really tough time emotionally. Yeah. So like yeah. when you ask that, what do you mean? Like, because now they have to go out into the world? Well, this, this is like, you know, people are going out, but they're also not going out freely they're going out with this thing that there's a variant out there yeah yeah and and so it's like how do you it's the hokey pokey you're doing the emotional hokey pokey you're putting your foot in you're taking your foot yeah, out it, you're reading watching is, the news yeah. you're going crazy what what do you do yeah do you, it, is, it is tricky it, it's so interesting because a lot of the young people and kids and adults that i work with that that are real introverts so who really don't like being out they actually felt when, when you when people weren't wearing masks, they didn't feel good. Like they liked wearing the masks. It kind of they sort of felt a little bit hidden from the world. It really helped, especially people that have social anxiety. And you can talk to yourself, you can mutter, you can make faces. So it's interesting. Like as the world was just becoming normal or semi-normal, and that was bringing up things for people. And now, as you say it, it's going back. You know, going backwards. So. And a lot of the kids that I'm working with aren't even excited about school because they figure, well, why get excited? It's probably we're going to end up back online. So there's just a lot of I think it's just hard on everybody right now. It's just nobody knows what's happening. It's a mess. You know, I had so many plans for today's show about topics that we could do. And I tell you right honestly, I forgot every one of them. So well, good night. That's it. it. No, 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 no. I think what we'll do is I think we'll just we'll just open open the show up. Yeah. And that, I'm completely blank. Isn't that amazing? Um, and I'm so excited to be honest about it. I'm, I have so much on my mind. Therapalooza 2021. It's Fearchella. It's a festival. Um, here we go. Okay. So our guests, as I told you, uh, two great comics, writers, and it's a pleasure to reunite with them. It's like a peaches and herb day here, with, with, but there's three of us. And that's uh, Frank Conniff. And Kathleen Roll. Now, Frank and, and Kathleen, you have a unique situation there. Your neighbors. The average age in our neighborhood is the mid hundreds. So, this, Frank and I are mere children in comparison. Uh, the, the 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 most of the residents um, in our building are, are of an advanced age, um, and uh, I will I will go uh, and borrow a defibrillator. <laughs> It is. It's ranging from elderly to dead. Is the is the de is the demographic? <laughs> yeah, and I had um, I had a quadruple bypass just to fit in with everybody. <laughs> yes, the neighbors are very nice. You know, <clears throat> mostly quiet. Um, keep people who are quiet and mostly keep to themselves. In other words, potential serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. I think that there might and and I the Jennifer, I want to ask you this if they are sociopaths, is there any way to give them agoraphobia <laughs> cuz that would be awesome. An angor a, a Well, agoraphobia would be you'd give them a sweater. 
Angoraphobia. Now that I already have. Right. That's that's for people who have a fear of Ed Wood. Glenn or Glendora or Angora. This is really interesting. I, you know, I don't want to jump right from here to gun violence, but I'm going to because there's an interesting program. I actually wear a bracelet to remind myself of this. It's called Start With Hello, and it's from the parents of uh, Sandy Hook. And it's called the Sandy Hook Promise. And what they've done over the years is they have an educational program oh, that they wow. bring to schools okay. where they educate kids and parents and teachers about how to talk to people who feel lonely and are loners and how to draw them out. And it's called It Starts With Hello. That's a, that's a great thing. I've never heard of that oh, before. That, yeah. That's that's a good thing, but I t- take away the guns or or don't D- don't do it. Don't start with hello when a person is pointing a gun at you. That's not that's <laughs> yeah, what you're saying. Really, if they don't have the gun, that would be more important. Or well, at it's, least it's, make it as hard to get one as it is to get a driver's license. Jennifer, talking talking kids out loneliness is actually considered a public health issue by the Surgeon General of the United States, okay? What, what do we do about how, to, how do we approach loneliness? How do you help people in your practice approach loneliness? And let's talk about that for a minute. Well, if it's a kid, then I really have the parents working on connection, right? Even if it's just knocking on the door and bringing them something to eat and sending them an icon or slipping a baby picture under the door, like any way that they can to just keep giving the message that we're here and we love you. And that's tough with teenagers because they like to, they do shut their parents out. Um, It's hard if somebody's feeling really sad and depressed, if you just try to convince them of all the things that's good about them, they often can't hear that. They just see that as invalidating. So it's sort of, you know, if it's a therapy situation, it's really working with them one-on-one to see what they're afraid of, what what is that fear and this, that anxiety masking for them? How is it how is it serving them? And I don't mean in a it's your fault kind of way, but often our our most difficult emotions protect mm. us or think they're protecting us from something worse. But if somebody says I'm I'm really, you know, I just don't feel like doing anything and I'm uh, you, you you would look at them and you would validate them. You'd mirror them. You'd you'd say, yeah, it seems like you're you're really down now. You really feel down. Is that right? Did I get that right? Yeah, you just sort of. And this is really hard to do if you're a parent, but you just kind of have to soothe the person and listen to them and be there. We we tend to get really into wanting to fix the problem. And believe me, if we could have fixed it, we would have fixed it. Um, it's just presence and soothing. And comforting and checking in and just being present. Sometimes just sitting with them and not saying anything at all can be really powerful. It, it's a very tricky thing. It's it's hard with a friend. It's particularly difficult with a family member. And, and it's probably the most painful with a child because you're watching them watch the world go by. Loneliness comes from, it is usually a form of anxiety to some degree, right? Like loneliness is you feel cut off somehow and either you're removing yourself and you don't realize it and that's why you're so afraid or your brain and your anxiety is trying to protect you by keeping you inside. Um, but the more isolated you are, the more you don't have a sound, there's no soundboard. It's just you in your own head talking and there's no um, other voices. There's no other challenge to the thoughts that are going on inside. 
So often it's just really supporting people and caring about them enough to be brave enough to take some small steps to connect. Um, and you can, you don't have to physically see people to connect. You can connect through texting. You can connect through email. You can connect by looking at photos and pictures. It's a whole, it's quite a long process to help someone out of loneliness. And then there's just chronic reasons why someone's lonely. It's COVID. You can't go out. (laughs) You're separated from people. You're wearing masks. Like the, Frank and I have, have been friends for many, many years. And one thing that we've, we, we were both isolated kind of, and, and uh, we've bonded. I know that it's made me feel better at times with hate watching. <laughs> and that's like watching uh, uh, colleagues that really suck on a terrible show. And uh, uh, Oh, yeah. Bonded. It bring it, it cements you, and, and it really, it it feels good. It's like a sense of community. <laughs> you commiserate. It's a celebration. Right? You sell, yeah, commiserate, and you, you celebrate. Yeah. Frank, I know, I know. For you, like you made a joke about it, but you did have a quadruple bypass, and you did go through this. So, how did that change your your perspective? Uh, did you feel, was it like comedy where you're looking at it and you're saying my quadruple bypass was better than your quadruple bypass? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, first of all, I just want to say uh, everything Jennifer just said was was, was really great and uh, amazing to listen to and so valuable. Um, but Thank um, you. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just a weird thing. I just kind of... Um, took it like this, um, uh, you know, when I was, it was in the, um, emergency room and they said, you know, you have a lot of heart disease. We're going to have to do surgery tomorrow morning. Um, uh, it was like really a heavy duty thing. And I'm like, Oh my God, a, mm-hmm. a major life altering event is happening. Um, but then you just kind of, I think because there's been a lot of death and like tragedy in my family and stuff, you know, that then you just kind of go into a mode that, that, that I learned when I was a kid was okay. Try, you know, something potentially tragic, something monumental is happening. We'll just have to make it through it, you know, and then, and then you, yeah, you're going to survive. Right. right? And then you yeah. just kind of yeah. have a matter of fact, um, uh, attitude about it. But then, you know, after the surgery, though, you're so incapacitated physically that, that that's all that life becomes about is just is just yeah. your convalescence. And, um, your and, and, you know, when you're speaking yeah. of loneliness, um, that's the moment when friends and family are not to mention the the hospital staff, the whole idea of other people being so essential to your well-being is ne- in my life. It's never been more um, stark than when that happened to me, because then suddenly, you know, um, uh, you know, my, my family, they're all trying to help me. My friends are all coming to the hospital. They're coming over to my house. They're making sure that I'm okay. And that just has an enormous impact. Um, uh, Kathleen yeah. didn't give a shit, but everybody else was. Right, was, right. She's was, because she's too busy yeah. hate watching, yes. and she's hate watching yeah. without you, which is yeah. sad. Yes, I, I have to say, Frank, completely like his recovery is amazing. I mean, 
dropped weight. He looks great, and he started walking. He he really took it well. I mean, I've never seen <laughs> No, I you know what? Because because like Kathleen said, like I I I you know finally lost a lot of weight, which for my whole adult life had never happened. Uh, I dropped in a, a huge amount of weight. Frank, can you recommend that people go through a quadruple? Maybe it's a way to health. It's a good path. A, quadru- a quadruple bypass is really the dumbest diet plan you can come up with. Um, it's uh, not having an appetite for eight months, you know, and so and so you lose weight. But um, uh, it's just a kind of, I think, typical of my life that I go about things in maybe not the smartest way. You know, I didn't... Um, uh, take care of myself. Uh, I mean, I, I, um, you know, I gave up, uh, drugs and alcohol like 35 years ago. And that was, that was a major turning point and enabled me to achieve the other things in life, uh, that I achieved. Um, but, uh, but one thing that I did do and, and I, I, I didn't start walking after this happened. I've been walking uh, my whole life. In fact, Walking, I consider my form of meditation. Like I don't sit and meditate every day, but I go for long walks every day. And that's my meditation. And I think if it hadn't been for all the walking Mm -hmm. I did all my life, like I probably just would have had a heart attack and died. But because I did do all this walking, but also didn't take care of myself, I kind of was given a second chance of like the gigantic um, wake up call and then the ability to come out of it. You know. Oh, yeah. I do think that the walking saved you. I mean, Frank is quite a walker. I am, too. But, Frank, you yeah. go to Central Park, like, almost daily. Yeah, Central Park and Carl Schurz Park. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's rare that I don't walk at least two miles a day. And sometimes, like, four or five miles. And, you know, we live right by the river. I walk up to Harlem to go to this grocery store, and it's so awesome. There's a whole community of fishermen, you know, that it's just like... It really is. Yeah, it's so important. And, and in fact, um, you know, like, when I became a comedian and I got into show business, which I always wanted to... From when I was a kid, of course, my dreams um, as a young guy getting in was was fame and fortune, you know, and all the things you always dream about. And um, but the thing that I found in the in in my work that's that's been so valuable to me is community. You know, like like meeting people like Ed, all all the great friends that I've made, and in L.A. and in New York and in Minneapolis, you know just this gigantic community of people who have the same kind of interest in being funny and comedy. And, uh, and, and it's, and so all of the, the times that I've had in that community, just hanging out with people, going to delis after the show, yeah, that's medicine. Uh, you oh, know, hanging, yeah. ar- hanging around, joking yeah. around. I mean, that's 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 the gift of that's the gift of, of what I do more than anything else. See, that's that's amazing. That's one of the things I was going to talk about too with loneliness. When you have community, so Kathleen, going to a place like that where everyone's chatting and they kind of know each other, that's missing from a lot of our lives now and kids' lives, right? 
I I do miss that, like going to the village, the cellar, and just the community of people. Like I'm a little afraid to go, but once you get there, it's it's just so nice. Like you'll run into. Now, are you are you naturally, Kathleen? Can I ask you? Are you a naturally shy person? I am. I I really am. But uh, you know, when I'm around commute, like. It, it, when I run into you, it's it's almost like this is family. It's like so. I'm not shy. I mean, I I get a little freaked out, like after a show, strangers. You know, like say you're in Vegas, and they're very nice, but I don't know what to say to them. But with other comics, that there's a whole community. But yeah, I I am shy, and people don't realize when you're up there you're you're all by yourself doing comedy you're not it's such an ironic thing it's, it, it, it seems ironic that a shy person would go in front of people on a stage i i found most most comedians i think are shy people yeah. and are, are 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 socially awkward in fact i would say not all comedians just the good yeah. ones you know oh, that's true are yeah. uh, are are People who have a lot of insecurities, Awkward. and yeah. uh, I'm this way too. Like just in a regular social interaction with people, mm. like I'm tongue-tied. I, I don't know. Like I'm I'm frightened. I don't know what to say. But put me on a stage in front of a room full of strangers, and suddenly, um, uh, you know, I'm I'm the center of attention, and and I'm okay yeah, with it. That's your world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like I said, all all of the good ones I know are, are are like that, you know. And all of all of the comedians I know, uh, um, when the pandemic came along, it's like, oh, we have to isolate all the time. Wow, this is going to be new. No, it wasn't. It wasn't different at all. You know, it was like kind of well, and you have more control in those situations. It, comedians are often extroverts on stage and introverts in life. Exactly. Absolutely. I didn't like not being able to go out and get groceries, but I like being alone and isolating and weeding. And all the pressure is gone, right? You don't have to go to the parties and the lunches. and yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. yes. Is it necessary, is it necessary to have a kind of stress and a kind of... Uh, I don't want to say unhappiness, but I just want to say a kind of a kind of awkwardness, an awkward perspective, so that you can create at the highest level. Is that necessary? Because I look at somebody like Seinfeld, and I don't think he's—I I don't look at him as like he might be the exception. People like him, um, because there doesn't seem to be a lot of angst in what he does. Well, I, I think that um, you know, there's always there's there's always been a um, belief among some that, you know, in order to be a good comedian or, or, or any kind of good artist, like you had to have had a, a tough childhood, you know, um, to draw upon. Um, and I, I find that that's not necessarily true. I mean, I, I've met some comedians who are very funny, and who, who had very happy childhoods, who, who lived normal um, lives and stuff, or what you would call normal and not yeah, not, not Frank and I but yeah other, other and, funny. and um 
you know, because the thing is, is talent is is a matter of luck. Uh, craft is, is what you work on, but your talent is something you're born with. And some people um, are, are born in, are with are born with talent and they grow up in really dysfunctional families and other people are born with talent and they uh, they um, uh, grow up uh, happy. I mean, I was watching this um, uh, this documentary that was recently on the Hulu channel uh, uh, about Paul McCartney. It was like a long interview with Paul McCartney. And he was talking about how when he met the other Beatles, like Paul had grown up in such a a loving, happy family. Like he didn't know that there were people that came from different backgrounds from that. So he was very surprised when he met John who had this very turbulent background and uh, was a, was a different kind of personality. Um, And you can kind of see it in their art. You know, you can see in Paul McCartney's song, there's a little bit more of an optimistic uh, vibe to it. And in John Lennon's songs are darker, but they're both incredibly talented and they're both great artists. Yeah, that's it. By the way, if no one, if you haven't seen this, this is one of the most fantastic series. It's called 321 McCartney. And he talks with Rick Rubin and they talk about the music and the songs. Mm-hmm. And then they let you listen to different parts of the of the music. And then he tells stories. Wow. It's one of the best. It's it's beautifully produced. It's a great it's called 321 mm-hmm. McCartney. And for a Beatles fan, it's heaven, basically. And most people are Beatles fans. Wow, this is on Hulu. Hulu, Hulu, yeah. Highly highly recommend the way they. It's what they don't do. They let him talk, and and they and they let you listen to the different tracks and the way the songs have been recorded and the why they've been written, and and what was the inspiration. It's all that you want uh, from a Beatles fan for sure. But from anybody, it's it's just a great series. Um, but I was going to ask, you know. Frank, when you grew up, I mean, your dad was a very famous Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who died of a heart attack. Yes. So I'm thinking you're Uh, going through this heart attack and this has to be I mean, it's it's terrifying to go through a heart attack. But I think it's doubly terrifying to know that your that your dad passed from this. uh, Yeah. Um, As I was being wheeled into the. operating room i looked up at this guy and i said uh are you finally proud of me dad oh my god yeah but uh no but the uh, um uh yeah my father was was very uh almost a stereotypical newspaper man journalist of his time in other words hard drinking um you know ate steak and eggs every day and just like um, you know, physically did not take care of himself at all. A workaholic above all the other aholics he was. He was a workaholic above it all. And uh, so he, um, you know, I'm, I'm turning 65 this month. Mm-hmm. And um, my, my dad's first big, he had a massive stroke when he was uh, 52 uh, mm-hmm. and then died of a heart attack when he was 57. So I have, um, wow. I think because I gave up the, um, the alcohol um, when I was in my late 20s, um, I think that, you know, that gave me a, a step up on him. And so I was able to, I've been able to live as long as I have while having the self-destructive tendencies that I've had. Um, so I think I've, I learned, I, maybe I learned a couple of lessons from his life uh, before this all happened. 
Um, what do you, Kathleen, what, what did you learn from your parents in terms of, and I'll take it to mental health, uh, what did you learn and how have you combated it or, or maybe use it as a positive? Um, I, my, my family is quite different. I'm from Arizona and, and uh, I didn't know this until I had left home or I lived in New York, but my parents are from quite different backgrounds. It, it's more homogenous there. It's, there's less of class distinctions, but my mother's like kind of, uh, uh, um, soci- they're socioeconomically, they, they were from quite different backgrounds. And my mother, um, I just learned a lot from her. I mean, she was very, very, I was afraid of being like her. I mean, she was a little angry, just volatile and uh, I don't know. I've, I've learned to deal with her and how to kind of see that in myself and, and stop it. How do you do that? Um, well, I didn't have five kids and I never, they're, they're, (laughs) (laughs) and also, uh, the Catholicism, I think is, is very, you know, which Frank and I both had that in our background, me to, uh, uh, more, you do you know. ever? Do you ever just? The, do you guys go over each other's houses and just put on spotlight? <laughs> spotlight, I watch. You know, as to relax. Um, <laughs> right, just just kind of calms you down. Of, yeah, it's kind of like a. Um, it's like a sob. Yeah, it's like new age music. Or a sob. Me, you know, it's very <laughs> very. Exactly. We were we were both we both went through the same training to become lapsed Catholics. Oh, oh, I have lost them. Yeah, my parents are literally more Catholic than the Pope. And I have to, <laughs> you know, kind of admit it, I, I don't talk to them about Catholicism. They work out. They're very healthy old people. You know, they go to the gym every day. And I, I just, I don't know. At this point, I, I try to get along with them uh and you know the gun violence thing i as you know probably my uncle was killed in the gabby gifford shooting so i've been involved with that that's uh you know arizona in my family anything like therapy uh aa that you you don't talk you don't do it you don't talk about it you just go to church and you're, you're, if you have to, you're weak. And so it's, it's kind of very difficult. I've, I've learned to edit with them. Yeah. But, but you, uh, have you had a lot of therapy yourself? Um, I have, I, I've had some not, I mean, Jennifer seems like an exceptional therapist. I don't think I've ever had one as sane as her. And we were talking about comedians being introverts and extroverts. Yeah. And one of the things I've found, and this is not, this is true for, for a lot of artists, they tend to be really bright. I mean, in order to find the joke, right. And see the similarities and 
fractalize it into these little pieces and pull it all together. You have to be pretty bright. And so what ends up happening is that ability is great on stage. Off stage, it can work again. The last one I had, he, um, I had to do it by phone because he moved to a nursing home. And he, <laughs> he, he yeah. was, I loved him though. Dr. Nishimi, and he was Jewish. Nishimi. Yeah. He's yeah. got a lot going on. He sounds like a Netflix series. Yeah, he was in his 90s, but it was, he was in his apartment, and it started when uh, he would leave the buzzer on. Like, I would be in there in the session, or I would hear <laughs> it would be broadcast, the woman before me talking oh about God. her permis and it was i i liked it oh like my her God. promiscuity and uh, uh drug abuse and then people were saying hey we could hear you and i thought wow he really doesn't know how to work that that buzzer he doesn't know um, how to work the buzzer has good boundaries yeah doesn't know yeah. how to work a buzzer but he was like a brilliant i liked him but wouldn't be wouldn't be a good contestant for Jeopardy. Like not doesn't know doesn't know from a buzzer. But you but you exactly. loved him you loved him because he was a good therapist. Yeah, and I think that he had to stop when the Alzheimer's got a little too pronounced. I didn't think I didn't I didn't have a problem with that. Not to make fun, it would never make fun of Alzheimer's, but I'm just thinking that I'm just thinking that he would constantly rehash issues that you'd already told him. Uh, yeah, he would start talking about things that happened in 1940, which I loved. I was fascinated with. Because 1940 was a fascinating time. Absolutely. Yeah. And this I is, was yeah. like, oh, he thinks I'm I'm aunt. Esther, that's fine with me. <laughs> I'm and, uh, cool. This is, I, I, I'll leave this office again, the portrait of sanity. And that's, I'm, yeah, that's just fantastic. Thank God he, he had a patient like, a client like you, who was actually, you know, met him where he was at and was able to gain the benefits of his wisdom, but also, um, relate in a way i think i think that wouldn't work with it with everybody but it worked yeah, he with you only had comedians and the interesting thing you he interviewed you you kind of had to audition for him and i i passed you I mean, mean to become he, a client he would interview you yes and he, he said i wasn't right for the room <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, it's not your room, Frank. It's not your night. No, yeah. I, I did see people that he, he turned down and, you know, he didn't like hacks. What can I tell you? Well, that's fantastic. That's a great story. I, loved him. I, I totally loved him. But I mean, Jennifer, that's she's she's good, too. She's not in 1940. She will never, rarely on the show has she brought up 1940. She did say Blitz one, yeah, did say uh, something, did say Blitz, but not the Krieg part of it. Now, now, Frank, uh, what kind of a, what kind of therapy, do you have any therapy horror stories Um, or good ones? um, I have good ones, um, not as um, 
colorful as Kathleen's. Um, but uh, um, I, um, I was in Los Angeles. I was going through a really difficult time, and I was I was extremely depressed. And um, uh, you know, and I I finally broke down, and I actually, you know, this is. I, I even like broke out the yellow pages and looked for a therapist, you know, I mean, that's how desperate I was. And, um, uh, and I didn't have a lot of money at this time either. So I, I had to find a place that had like a sliding scale, you know, to go along with the sliding within my head. Yeah. Um, and, uh, um, and, and I, and I got like kind of a, uh, therapist in training, you know, cause that was cheaper. Um, and it's just this very nice young woman. And, um, you know, I, you can talk all you want about the complexities of therapy, and there are many. But, you know, to me, it was so helpful just to have this really nice person whose job it was just to sit and listen to me for an hour, you know, and to kind of be nice and, and supportive and nod her head and um, approvingly and be sympathetic. And there wasn't really a lot more to it than that, but you know what? It was very helpful. It was good. It was good. Well, that's a, that is part of the job of a, yeah, of a good yeah. therapist. Yeah, I, what I liked about Je- Jennifer is she offered these solution, these things that you can right. do, which mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Dr. Nashimi, he really didn't, He but he was fine. He'd say, so you like to get a little blotto after you do comedy and i'm like what does that blotto oh like you know dorothy parker and whatever he yeah. meant wrong you like to and get I, a little blotto. well that's like, yeah that's fun yeah but uh i i do like that she offered and they were very practical um, well yeah usually we usually we try it out we practice it the, on the show um and and she's she's got skills that I haven't heard before I've heard some I've heard a lot well, of that's them That's the thing too you know I was talking about talent being luck luck plays a very important part in life and it it also applies to getting a good therapist you have to be lucky that you get a good one you know Oh yeah. right I mean uh, someone as simple as she's very connected to the human condition it seems like that would be an entry level requirement yeah. whereas I not all of them I I actually um you know in terms of what I said about luck getting a good therapist uh, you know not not every therapist belongs in that profession and um I will uh tell you about um i one time uh through our a mutual friend of all of ours joe keys very funny comedian a friend of his was doing like um like a cabaret act at some los Feliz nightclub and uh joe wasn't doing a lot of stand-up at the time she wanted a comedian to open for her and so i said yeah i'll be uh, i'll do it and I went and I opened for her and I got like horribly heckled uh, by a woman in the front row who wouldn't shut up. And it turns out it was her mother and she was a therapist. Wow. Mm. So that's, you know, 
so maybe her advice to people is you're not heckling comedians enough in your life, you know? Wow. I once did uh, um, a benefit for the criminally insane. Now I was misinformed. I I was doing a, a room downtown. It was like poetry. And I was one of two or three comedians, but a woman asked me to do it. And I, I was led to believe that they were sane, that no law abiding, insane people. And I thought it would be fun. I thought they'd be like Dylan Thomas or whatever. They weren't. They were like, they had to sit on mats. They were like in jail, but they were crazy. So um, it sounds, it sounds like it sounds like a, a crowd for a very specific uh, kind of, I don't know who they would have liked at that point. At that point, you kind of want to protect yourself. I well, think. I did. Oh, I would say just a little too well. I got an <laughs> F. <laughs> this was your that you turn up. This was your demographic. Yes, I had to be escorted home by <laughs> the police. Took me in their car, and my neighbors, of course, they were jealous. When they saw that, but um, like oh. I, when I went to get a drink of water, they had guards like, "Don't do this alone." Right. And one Don't guy, show your hands. Don't show your hands. Yeah, um. they were too violent for met for chairs. They had to sit on mats. But it turns out a really good audience. Excellent. I mean, <laughs> loved comedy. Really and killing. <laughs> And uh, the the guy before me, he had, you know, that, oh, some people have a pot belly. I have a kitchen stove sink like he's really fat. And they were chanting, how do you feel about that? <laughs> Sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was fun. Boy, but, they sound uh, great. I'd like to play that room. Yeah, who, who books that? <laughs> it's booked it was, by a probation officer. You know. Yes, it was some woman who who was nuts, and she reprimanded me for having material that wasn't uh, like too dark for them. I'm like, hey, I'm not the one that killed my entire family <laughs> with an axe. Like, it's too dark. This may be too dark. That's hysterical. Your material is too dark for people who chopped up their families. Yes, it's like they were real criminals. Now, if I had known that going in, I don't know if I would have. But yeah, why not? Those stories are fantastic. That's what we're going to talk again. You guys have to come back and you do please come back because, Frank, we're going to talk about the Aztec sacrifice audition uh, pitch that we did. <laughs> and we really did that. Oh, um, my God. Yeah, we did an Aztec sacrifice simulation pitch for the Cartoon Network. And, 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 and I was the one who lost my mind. So that was fantastic. <laughs> Um, okay, well, I want to thank everybody. Thank, thank you guys. Thank you, thank Kathleen. Thank you so much. What a fun uh, show. Thank you, Thanks, Ed. Thank you, Frank. It was a delight. You yeah, were great around. meeting you. I want to tell people that they can find the podcast wherever they, wherever you get your podcasts. You can go to makelightmedia.com, M-A-K-E-L-I-G-H-T, media.com. You can write a review. You can share. You can do whatever. Or you can write us at ed at makelightmedia.com. 
go to Connected Parenting to check out all of Jennifer's work, her classes, workshops, media. It's all there at ConnectedParenting.com. Keep coming back at Works If You Work It. I'm Ed Krasnick for Jennifer Kalari. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.